Two weeks in the books, Hawaii is on deck this week for Oregon. Which unit on either side of the ball has the biggest area for growth and which unit has been the best? Let's answer those questions. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please and thank you, wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat over 50 infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Position groups, what needs to be fixed, uh, and a timeline for the defense and uh, some other sports at Oregon. All that on uh, today's show. But we start with the group that I think has the biggest area for growth, as in they have been the worst so far through two weeks. To me, that answer is pretty clearly the secondary. Now, there are a number of groups that you you could look at and say, well, they didn't do this well, they didn't do that well. It doesn't mean every other group has been perfect, far from it. But I think when you look at the totality of what we've seen over the first couple of weeks, really just in the Texas Tech game, but you know, you factor in uh, maybe like 10% of what happened in the Portland State game and 90% what happened against Texas Tech. Uh, the secondary was Oregon's biggest weakness. The penalties that amounted to 124 yards on Saturday night, 14 total, several of them came in the secondary in the form of pass interference. Now, one came on, uh, along the defensive line from Brandon Dorless that I was watching back the other day. It was a horrible call from the official. Like It was straight up. Tyler Shuck had barely released the football. Brandon Dorless hits him, and he's called for roughing the passer. Like That was a truly, truly terrible call, so a bad break for the Ducks there. But the pass interference penalties, the, the times that they got beat when Texas Tech was moving the ball down the field, the Kyrie Jackson penalty, of course, ended up leading to seven points, or else Oregon maybe uh, blows that game wide open. I talked about that earlier this week. But, you know, when looking at which unit has, has performed the best and, and the worst so far, and it's somewhat ironic that the secondary is the worst, because I think the receivers have been the best, which is their counterpart, uh, which I'll, I'll get to. But I, I was thinking about the penalties, just kind of the feel, the eye test, watching the game, how it played out, and then incorporating, though not solely relying on the PFF grade. So, in perusing how PFF has assessed uh, different players on, or all players, frankly, of Oregon's defense this year, there is not a single safety in the room who, through two weeks, is inside the top 300 nationally. Now, the linebackers are not grading well on PFF either, but this is where the other factors for me came into play and why I think the secondary is where the growth is most needed for the Ducks as the defense goes forward here in in 2023. Kyrie Jackson made a big interception. Sure, absolutely. That's kind of a net neutral when you factor in that he also didn't identify the ball, should have been able to intercept it or swat it. Instead, allowed Texas Tech to pick up a third down and 18. And then on third down, you also had Tysheem Johnson getting beat uh, for, for a touchdown. And, you know, the miscommunication on the what was really a well-designed play, frankly, from Texas Tech to score in, in the third quarter uh, when they had the two stack and they did kind of the double hesitation screen fake and then uh, release up the sideline. Like, that's a 
really, really good concept and tough to defend, but Oregon definitely did not defend it the way you, you would like them to. But when I looked at the linebackers and saw how poorly they graded, it, it was why I say that stats and grades like PFF are a starting point, but not necessarily an end point. Because I actually thought the linebackers, from what we saw, played pretty well. And yeah, there was one big run that I talked about as well was uh, from what I saw Evan Williams over pursuing and taking a poor angle on Tyler Shuck. Like Shuck should have been able to pick up the first down based on how it was blocked, but also. Evan Williams should have been there to stop him at the second level, and he wasn't because he came downhill too quickly, and he just didn't take a bad angle. And Evan Williams playing in his first game didn't have a great week. I think he's going to get a lot better as the year goes on because I think he's a really, really talented uh, and gifted athlete on the back end of the defense for the Ducks. But the linebackers you know, may not have been perfect all the time, but they made impact plays. Jeff Bossa had the game ceiling pick six. Jamal Hill turned over Tyler Shuck with the the, the forced fumble strip sack in in the first half that prevented Texas Tech uh, from going down and scoring after they had been moving the ball. So uh, I, I think that the the lack of penalties from from the linebackers and the impact plays they made to me makes uh, the secondary the unit that I'm most concerned with. And and defensively, by the way, just if you're just looking on the defense, I'm most encouraged by the defensive line who I thought got pressure on Tyler Shuck, who uh, had four sacks. Now, some of that was blitzing as well, but the defensive line uh, gets some gets some credit for that. Would have been five sacks if the Red Raiders hadn't committed a penalty, too. Uh, one got nullified there. If you give me five sacks a game, I'm going to be pretty happy. Like, uh, four to five sacks a game. Pressure on the quarterback. I thought they did well. They didn't allow. They allowed a couple of big runs. You know, the quarterback run uh, that again I I attribute more to to the secondary there and and the defensive line. You know, really only allowed one other big run to a running back. I mean, Brooks broke one in the third quarter, and like that's going to happen from time to time. But overall, I thought they did a pretty good job. So, um, also by the way, while we're talking about PFF grades, I was poking around and looking at the offensive line because that was certainly a contender for which unit has struggled the most. But ultimately, there. Their, their pass protection has been way too good through the first couple of weeks for me to say, ah, that's been Oregon's biggest uh, weakness as a unit so far. Jackson Powers Johnson grades as the second best center in the country, not in the conference, in the country, according to PFF right now. So that transition appears to be going very, very well. He was primarily a guard for the last couple of seasons, and he's off to a good start uh, in the eyes of pro football focus. Uh, Steven Jones is inside the top 20, number 17 at, at guard. No surprise there. He's a sixth-year player, been a good offensive lineman for the Ducks for quite a while. Uh, and Johnny Cornelius is number 40 at, at, at tackle, and uh, Connerly and Marcus Harper so far are the guys who have the, the biggest room to grow. The whole unit, I think, can improve prove their run blocking a lot of those high grades are I, I think related to their pass blocking because it's been so good I think Nix has only been sacked one time through the first couple of weeks and he's thrown the ball uh, exceptionally well through through the first couple of games so that's why I think the secondary is the area that has been Oregon's biggest weakness so far and has the most room to grow and guess what they're gonna have to because you've got Washington you first of all you have Colorado next week they're gonna throw the football a lot they're not gonna run it a ton Three weeks after that, when you factor in the bye, you've got Washington. Later in the year, you've got USC. And then don't forget about if Cam Rising comes back, you've got to go on the road and play Utah, and Cam Rising can put up yards in a hurry. It's not the scariest pass offense in the conference, but it's still a capable one. A guy who we played really well against last year might have a little bit more motivation to play exceptionally well this year when when we travel to Salt Lake City. So 
I, I think the secondary uh, has has got to get better. Uh, I, I hope the grades on PFF start to reflect that, and that they you know continue to make impact plays. Like they had several interceptions, uh, which which they deserve full credit for. But clean up the penalties and, and just be a little bit sharper in, in a couple areas. And I think you can really start to see this defense uh, take off because I like what we have in uh, the front seven so far. But the group that I think is the best, I, I, I'm not kidding. I, I asked a couple friends. I uh, thought about it for like 15 to 20 minutes because the answer was not clear to me as to who or as to which position group was the best for the Ducks through the first couple of weeks I, I think it's a really tough question to answer because several have been quite good and I landed on wide receivers for for a very well thought out reason at least uh, in my view going to Jace Medical is a well thought out decision on your part because you can get the Jace case which provides the five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use all it takes to get a Jace case is fill out a simple online form and in some cases jump on a quick call with one of their board certified physicians get ongoing care from their physicians on any treatment related questions doctor created doctor recommended you don't want to be caught unprepared in today's world where you have to rely on things like the supply chain and you have shortages and everything and it gets really complicated you need to be prepared now more than ever and jace medical does just that save more than 360 dollars by getting these life-saving life-saving antibiotics with jace medical plus an additional 20 dollars off by using my code locked on at checkout on jacemedical.com that's j-a-s-e medical.com use that code locked on to get an additional 20 dollars off i should give him a code that says Second segment sip gives you $25 off. I should look into that. Anyway, um, not my best transition out of the live read there, but we've made it. So let's get into segment number two. The receivers, I think, have been the strongest unit for the Ducks. Now, the answer here is actually quarterback because Bo Nix is there, but that's not a unit. That's not a collection of players. Yeah, Ty Thompson and Austin Novosad did well in week one against Portland State. We should see Ty Thompson again uh, this week against Hawaii, too. But the wide receivers, I think, have been the best unit so far. And look, I I consider the O-line with their pass blocking, but the run blocking hasn't been great. I consider the tight ends, by the way. I think T. Ferg and Patrick Herbert have been really good. T. Ferg, though, had a drop. Their blocking has been solid, and that's part of the running game is your tight ends have to be able to move guys around as well. And then I went to the defensive line and said, well, they did get a lot of pressure on uh, uh, Tyler Shuck more than we saw last year. And they made key play like uh, that. That was a legitimate contender, which I think is great because a defensive line that's better on paper against the Red Raiders, I thought looked better on the field. And we'll see how things go the rest of the season. I thought the running backs have been very good when they've had opportunities to make plays, but they haven't quite gotten into the same rhythm they had last year. And so then I landed on the wide receivers who have been so, so good, like, Go down 7 nothing on the road. Troy Franklin, boom, beats his guy, walk-in 72-yard touchdown. Tez Johnson, third and goal. We get backed up because of penalties uh, along the offensive line. There was a hold, and then we get it to Tez Johnson, and he's a brilliant route runner, and he's an explosive athlete, and he just beats his guy, runs the rub route on that mesh cross correctly, and Bonix puts it on the money, and he accelerates in for the touchdown. Like, third down conversions. There were several big pickups from the receivers. Tez Johnson uh, on on one of the drives late in the game. Uh, Troy Franklin had one as well. So that's why I landed on those two guys. Gary Bryant also, um, uh, fun 
I guess fun fact, but a fact that I uh, that I recalled watching back some plays from from that game against Texas Tech. When Bonix scrambles before our final touchdown offensively of the game, when Bonix scrambles on third and three, he actually had Gary Bryant Jr. wide open and he just missed him because he was looking for Tferg on that bunch concept. It's basically the same play we ran against. Um, North Carolina in the Holiday Bowl last year to Chase Coda. Gary Bryant was Chase Coda, and he was wide open, and Bo just missed him. But Bo is a great athlete, so he made the play for the first down. But I think about the receivers. I've been impressed with how they blocked on the perimeter. You know, Bucky Irving loves to have those cutback runs, and you need good perimeter blocking to allow those to be successful. I think they have been when the opportunities have presented themselves. They haven't had the drops. They've made plays. Treshawn Holden has had a couple of nice moments. Troy Franklin, Gary Bryant, Tez Johnson. Those are kind of your your top receiving targets right now. And they've all been really, really good. And, and of course, everybody was good offensively against Portland State. But I, I think they came up with they, they came up with big catches against Texas Tech. They haven't had a case of the drops. They've been explosive. They've been reliable. They've been consistent. Uh, I think so far at this point in the season, the running, the, the wide receivers have been uh, the, the the best unit for for Oregon on either side of the ball. Curious as to your thoughts, though, so drop them in the YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore fifty five or at locked on ducks. Great way to get it in the mailbag. If you want a priority mailbag, though. Go join the Locked On Subtext community. It's 14 days for a free trial, then $5 a month after the fact. You can talk with me one-on-one, get all my thoughts after the game immediately. You can go back and forth with me as much as you want in a quicker fashion than you can on, on social media, which I don't check quite as consistently. And you get priority mailbag questions. So if you send one in via the subtext, that one goes to the top of the mailbag and the other ones are still in there. If you don't want to do that, it's not a requirement at all whatsoever. However you listen to or watch the show, I very much appreciate it and you can continue to enjoy it uh, as you do free of charge. So uh, let's get to the mailbag here. This from Nathan. Which of our weaknesses do you see getting fixed the quickest? Run blocking, offensive adjustments, O-line execution, penalties included, front 6-7 execution, or back 4-5 execution. I'm going to go, it, it, it's pretty tough. And, and these are all elements that we saw uh, that we saw rear their heads in a negative way for Oregon. You know, no points in, in the third quarter from the Ducks offensively. Not great. Only one touchdown offensively in the second half from Will Stein and company. Not ideal. Offensive line execution had a lot of penalties. Run blocking. Only 113 yards on the ground, three and a half yards of carry. Back end of the defense, that that has, I think, the most room to grow. So I think that one is not uh, going to be the quickest. I'm going to go with the run blocking here. I, I, I think that, you know, Josh Connerly talked about how the, the penalties pre-snap and everything were, um, you know, were on him and that they were just kind of a, a function of, of being a little bit nervous and on the road and in that environment. And he's starting at left tackle for, for the first time. And I think that's all perfectly fair. You know, he played, but only in the 14J package a year ago. So he's done the most run blocking at this point in his career. Steven Jones has been a very good run blocker. I, I would look to see... You know, Marcus Harper is graded at this point, and I think we've all kind of seen it as as the worst run blocker on that Oregon offensive line. He's really strong in pass protection, but he's not as good uh, blocking in the run game. So 
I, I think those elements, I don't know that they're looking at making a change at left guard uh, necessarily. I mean, you have Junior Angelau uh, in there. Not sure if Nishad Strother is back off, off of injury, but I, I think the run blocking and getting the ground game going is something that'll be a focus for Oregon this week against Hawaii. You might not learn a lot, but I think the Texas Tech front seven is also good and physical, and they did a good job of you know winning their battles up front. I don't think there are defensive lines uh, scattered throughout the Pac-12 that are dangerous like that. Like Hawaii this week, we should be able to run the football no problem. Colorado the following week, they have been terrible stopping the run. That Colorado game will be a good measure. If we can't run the ball against the bus, then we know it's going to be a perennial issue this year, run blocking. But I expect them to be able to put up much better numbers over over the next couple of weeks. And I think that gets them in a groove, gets them confident, and gets them kind of flowing. But, you know, Will Stein has a role to play in an improved run game as well because he, he has to be able to, you know, dial up the right plays at the right time, keep the defense off balance, don't let them come down and, you know, load the box or play safeties close to the line of scrimmage. He has to keep them, you know, back up, backed off a little bit and call runs at the right time. And I think all of that will continue to improve as the year goes on. So I'll, I'll go with run blocking um, as the thing that gets fixed first, though hopefully the other areas uh, see improvement as well. This question from Nick. Lincoln Riley came to USC known for his offensive mind, for good reason, and that's exactly what we saw happen immediately at USC. He's not known for defense. USC's defense has been the issue. Lanning was known for defense, and nobody said anything about offense. The Ducks have succeeded despite the defense. That's my issue and concern. Opinion. So, couple points here. And the, the crux of the question is, hey, why why hasn't the defense turned into a dominant unit the way that Kalen DeBoer has turned Washington's offense into a dominant unit or Lincoln Riley's turned USC's offense into a dominant unit quickly? I think there are a couple things at, at play here. Number one, this is an offensive sport. Like the rules favor the offense more, but as, as time evolves, offenses get better and it is harder and harder for defenses to to keep up. Look at Nick Saban. Nick Saban teams used to be dominant defensively and they used to be able to allow less than 20 points a game to all their opponents. And it was, you know, in the SEC, we play real defense and it's a slugfest and we've got the best defensive players. They still have the best defensive players across the conference in the SEC compared to other leagues. Guess what? They can't stop anybody. With any sort of consistency, Georgia is an outlier, and that took many, many years to build. And Lanning was a part of that over there as a defensive coordinator. But I, I just look at what you have to do defensively versus what you have to do offensively to build an elite unit. And I think it makes sense that the defense takes a bit longer, though I, I thought Oregon's defense would be better a year ago. I was disappointed on that front. I expect them to be better. I think they did look better against Texas Tech in, in many ways, though they have elements that they still need to clean up. But I, I think that it's a lot easier to kind of revamp an offense than it is a defense because of the way the sport works. Like all, all the innovative coaching and the new, you know, coaching is a very interconnected community and schemes and concepts get shared and their conferences and all this sort of stuff. Everything is primarily focused on what you do offensively and, and that's where all the innovation and where the, a lot of the best athletes are playing now as well because that's where all the money is when you go to the nfl not all of it right like but the the most money it's quarterback now it's re wide receiver 
Uh, it's definitely not running back in the NFL and pass rusher and offensive tackle. Like those are your highest paid players, maybe a corner, maybe, but there aren't as many good corners. I, I think is, uh, I, I listen to John Middlecoff's three and out podcast. He's a former NFL scout. He says all the time, there aren't that many great corners in the NFL. But there are a lot of great receivers. There are a lot of great quarterbacks. There are a lot of great offensive linemen because that's where you create stats and hype and interest and everything like that. So it's worth more. And it's just become a more offensive sport, even for defensive cultures uh, like Alabama. But I, I have a couple other thoughts on on that front and you know what we're seeing from Lanning and this defensive staff as they work to uh, improve from last year. But I'm always seeing great offers on game time because buying tickets to your favorite events, it just shouldn't be stressful, everybody. It just should not, boys and girls. So game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. They have flash deals, last-minute tickets, and uh, tickets available that are or tickets that are available right up to the day of the event. The game time guarantee means you always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less somewhere else, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. You, you can also get images of your seat before you buy them so you know exactly what your view is going to be. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, use code locked on college for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code locked on college for $20 off. Download Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, so last couple of things here on uh, you know why offenses are easier to improve than defenses. Uh, number one, when you look at Lincoln Riley or you know Kalen DeBoer up at Washington and their fixing of the offense, it's driven through the quarterback and one guy most notably the quarterback, only the quarterback, frankly. If you get the quarterback right, you can get a lot of things right, okay? Look at Colorado, for instance. They've completely revamped their offense, right? And they do have some talented wide receivers, and Travis Hunter is amazing. But they have a pretty weak offensive line. He's been sacked, I think, 11 times in two games. They don't run the football very well. They have one NFL-caliber wide receiver in Travis Hunter, maybe a second one in Jimmy Horn. But... They don't use their tight ends. And guess what? They've thrown for over 900 yards in the first two weeks. You know why? Because their quarterback is really, really good. So one guy offensively can completely change the dynamic and effectiveness of your offense. On defense, it takes a lot more than just one guy. It takes way. There's no position on defense that is as important to that side of the ball as the quarterback is to the offense. It doesn't exist. So you can't create that sort of change overnight i mean oregon had a first round pick on on uh, on defense last year that they brought in christian gonzalez right he made an impact he had a big impact he was a really really good player he can't make 10 percent the impact that caleb williams did on the usc offense or michael Penix at washington or bo Nix on the oregon offense for that matter so i think that's a part of it the other thing too with you know hey why haven't we built up the defense yet we haven't seen all of year two under Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy and the rest of this defensive staff, Chris Hampton in there now as well. We haven't seen that play out yet. All we've seen is the defensive line has improved. They were sloppy with penalties. They got plays, big plays made from their linebackers, and that was severely lacking a year ago. And they did that on the road. That's that that that's all we knew. That's all we know. So I think you have to see more data on this sort of stuff. Like I need an entire body of work. The defense, in my view, was a letdown last year. To not be able to make adjustments against the Beavs and the Dogs in in those games that led to those losses, that was a big letdown. But 
overall, if the defense takes a step forward this year, like it's a unit that, as I said, you can't revamp a defense in one year to become an elite unit. It can improve in one year, but you can't go from being, you know, just okay or below average to, oh my gosh, it's the best defense in the country in one year. Like that is a really, really tough expectation. So I think to build that caliber of defense takes at least a couple of years. It should only take two. Like this year, we should see a really good Oregon defense. Next year, I think we should see a dominant Oregon defense with the way that they have recruited and the way they're building the roster and the way that you can change over uh, your personnel with the transfer portal now. I think before I would have said three years is kind of when I expect it to start being good. If if that's what you're known for, as Dan Lanning was over at Georgia, I think now the expectation is two. So it should be good this year. But I, I'd reserve judgment on you know whether or not the defense is progressing at a commensurate rate at an acceptable rate in our view until we actually see this season play play out. Um, anyway, great question though. That was a really, really good question. Uh, this one from Bud. Hey Spencer, question that might be a little fun, but could the Big Ten offer a chance for some sports to come back and move up to Division One lacrosse or to, up to Division One like lacrosse, wrestling, and hockey? Side note to add, the Big Ten is known for all three of those sports being really good in uh, Division One. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in theory, the answer here is yes. We've seen sports get restarted at Oregon before, most notably with baseball. You have to have an appetite, though. Like, there has to be a desire from the athletes and from not really fans as much, really just from the athletes to compete at that level. I don't know what the Big Ten bylaws are with regards to you have to have this many Division One sports, you have to do this. Like, there are individual sports for teams within conferences that don't necessarily compete in that league or at that level. And if Oregon has these as club sports right now, you know, after a couple of years, I wouldn't expect it to be quick. But if they, you know, are having a lot of success and after a couple of years they say, hey, do we have the money to do this? Because you're getting more money going over to the, the Big Ten than you were making in the Pac-12 previously. And Oregon's, you know, got plenty of money anyway, of course. But if you if you start to see those programs succeed at a high level and they say, hey, we want to compete in the Big Ten, it'll come up to athletic director Rob Mullins and whether or not he thinks there's an advantage there. But if he and the athletes both, those are really the people that'd be involved in making that decision, I could definitely see it happening because the Big Ten does uh, care about those sports in, in a pretty significant way. Like, are they sports that I'd cover here on the show? No, not unless they won a conference championship or were uh, making a run or anything like that. In the NCAA tournament, I might, you know, give them a shout out and such, but I know that we talk about mostly football here and then uh, some some basketball as well. Um but I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it if, if the money works and there's a desire. Hey, I'm, I'm all for, for kids having the chance to compete at, uh, at a high level. Uh, last one here. It's a fun question from Beginner Catholic. Since I know you're not sick of me asking questions. I'm not. I never am. Here's yet another continuing the food comparison theme. Describe the perfect season for Oregon in terms of the perfect taco. So, the perfect taco is a recipe that my mom found a long time ago, and I've eaten for uh, a long, long time in, in my life because it's delicious. They're chipotle chicken tacos with an avocado cucumber relish. And the, the reason that I liken them to the perfect Oregon football season is because it is perfectly balanced. Just like Thanos said, all things should be, that taco is perfectly balanced. You have a little bit of heat 
and warm temperature-wise from the chicken that goes into a, a soft flour tortilla, but then you get this cool, <coughs> excuse me, cool, crispy, refreshing avocado cucumber relish on top, which really is the star of the dish. You know, the, the, the meat of it is so important, but the, you can't have it without the relish. I think the relish is the defense for the Ducks. Like, the offense is there. We know the offense is there, right? Every taco's got meat, unless you're a vegetarian or a vegan, and I'm, I'm not, so every taco that I eat has meat in it. We know that that's there. But how do you make it really, really perfect? How do you, how do you make it that wonderful blend of everything? You got to have balance. You got to be able to recognize that that chicken, the offense, is a star in its own right. But you also have to be able to see the defense, the relish, shine through in in key moments. That being, you know, every bite that I take. So anyway, there you go. I'm always on board for food comparisons. Keep the questions coming, YouTube comments, Twitter, or you can join Subtext as well. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.